radioinfluence.com. Welcome to Live Bold and Boss Up. This week we have a special guest, and I want to start the introduction by sharing all of the famous people that he has worked with and connected with just to show you the magnitude of just the connections and the mind that we get to pick today. So our guest has worked with Elon Musk, Mark Benioff, Parker Harris, Michael Dell, Ross Perot, Jack Dorsey, Steve Jobs, Larry Stone, um, astronauts Chris Cassidy and Wendy Lawrence. There's much more on this list. I could probably go on for five minutes, but those are just a handful of the ones that really stuck out to me that I thought were amazing. And as you can imagine, he's, of course, a serial entrepreneur, multi-industry CEO, CIO, COO, right? Fortune 50 growth stage uh, and startup companies, um, private equity operating partner. And of course, I can't leave out the Navy Navy officer. Um, he's a transformational leader, a change ambassador. You know, his experiences um, have really become, you know, really this lead in authority on this passion-struck leadership that he's created. Um, He really enjoys igniting the human potential, which is why exactly he's perfect for our our podcast. Um, He has coaching methods that have been proven at the highest levels of success with 15, well, more than 15 leaders now going on to becoming C-level executives in Fortune 500 companies, as well as many other becoming just successful entrepreneurs and CEOs. He's, of course, lived all over the globe. And, you know, he he recognizes that he's definitely one of the lucky few who discovered his purpose and, you know, get to practice it every day. Um, currently, he is writing a book called, it's titled Passion, Passion Struck. Uh, it's a system of life that really empowers people to discover and ignite and cultivate their purpose. Uh, that's going to be released soon. And of course, he's appeared in magazines and newspapers and won some awards. Um, welcome, John Miles. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I've, I've been listening to your podcast since it uh, launched, and I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. I, you know, it's funny. I I have known you now for a couple years, and I had no idea your bio until you sent it to me, all of these amazing things. So I feel like we have so much to unpack. I know. I agree. I feel like the more, because I've known John for a while now, I want to say probably over five years, probably six. Yeah, it's probably, yeah. probably close to six. Yeah. And um, I feel like the more that you and I talk, the more I get to know you and you have a very interesting background and I'm always learning more about you. So I love that. So thank you. I feel very honored that you're here with us, talking with us today. And sharing your knowledge. So I feel like there's a lot to lot to talk about. So um, like Ash said, your book is on the way. It's called Passion Struck. Tell us like what motivated you to write a book. So I, I, I guess I discovered over the past three to four years uh, my, my passion for writing. And I, I think it's one of those things where I had been doing it for years, but um, I had been doing it on behalf of the companies I worked for. 
And much of the creative writing I was doing was in the form of, you know, it could be a proposal to, you know, the CEO of, uh, of a company I was working. It could have been a proposal to, you know, a board or a, a project. Um, but I, I had always enjoyed writing. Um, but it was through the experience when I was at Bold Business, um, working on an interim assignment where I had the un- unlikely um, fortune of becoming the associate publisher of their digital publication that I really started to move from business writing to more creative writing. And I just, um, through that experience realized, you know, I, I really enjoy this and, you know, I ha- I've had this passion project I've wanted to do for a long time. And it, you know, it kind of gave me the confidence that I could move from, you know, writing, you know, for a company to really writing for myself. Uh, which is a, a big change of, of voice. Um, but the the underlying reason for Passion Struck is I believe, based on all the, the research I've been doing over the past five to six years, that we are on, a, on the verge of a, a national uh, emergency. And when I say that, I don't mean the impact of COVID. I mean something that could be even worse than that. And, and that is um, for the past 20 to 30 years, there has been a steady and increasing decline in entrepreneurship and business vitality. And because of that, um, and it's not just in the United States, it's across all Western um, economies, the whole matrix of the way um, the ecosystem works is drastically changing. Because when when you have a high-performing entrepreneurial ecosystem, you have the creation of a lot of companies, a lot of jobs, and then many of those companies fail and the talent gets repurposed. What's happening is we are having the creation of the portfolio career where people um, continue to have these portfolios that they follow in their career instead of really following their potential and living their passion. And if we don't change this, um, it's going to have drastic impacts on all Western economies. And so, you know, that was the original um, reason for for Passion Struck. Wow. And who is your target audience for the book? So the, the target audience are, is what I like to say, the next generation of future leaders. So um, it's, you know, I, I would say it's 22 to 40 and specifically uh, those who are not fixed in the way that they're they're looking at them their self identity, but those um, that want to have a growth type of mindset. Did you did you realize the decline in entrepreneurs from you, you know your interviews and talks with all of these famous people? Right? Did you ha- when did you realize that was happening? Well, so my background um, is I. As you start off the the interview, I've I've been really fortunate in my career to have worked alongside some, you know, I, I call them them friends, but um, you know, some people who have have really changed industries, and you know, as I as I looked at them and was living in in Tampa, um, I saw a big gap um, emerging between some of these entrepreneurs and as I got out of my corporate jobs and became an entrepreneur myself, um, I expected to see more of it. And so as I started looking into it, it wasn't just an issue in Tampa. It was an issue all across the country. 
you know, where the American dream is really shifting. And so um, by, by really looking at that, I started to unpack, um, you know, what causes leaders like a Mark Benioff to achieve such greatness when so many people um, get stuck in a pattern of, of not being able to pursue, you know, their potential or pursue their dream like he did. And so that, that research really then started unfolding into finding these uh, drastic trends that are happening around uh, the lack of businesses really growing and cultivating. I feel like that's a whole nother, we could do a whole nother episode on all that. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I love that information. For sure. Can we dive into how you ignite human potential? Like, how does that happen? Yeah. So as, as I was trying to study this phenomenon, um, you know, why, why is this happening? Why aren't people pursuing their, their dreams? Um, a lot of the experts want to blame it on the, the debt that, uh, you know, 22 and 40 year olds carry, um, because of student loans and other things, it's about you know 1.3 to 1.6 trillion now, and I and I believe that that probably has a part in it, but I don't think it's the main issue. I you know we are now um, in the midst of an all digital future, and if if you, if that's not apparent, just look around. I mean, it's you know most people can't uh, wake up without in the first four to five minutes looking at their cell phone or turning on a TV or doing something, um, but because of that all all digital future, the way I like to look at it is while technology may be this generation's, um, you know, the thing that cultivates their spirit, there is a growing trend of becoming risk adverse and indifferent. So the way I like to look at this is there's a growing trend of apathy and comfort. Um, in other words, the, the pandemics of the human mind and the pandemic of human potential. And it's at the root cause of that is that um, people's self-identity is limiting their their future potential. Do you feel like technology kind of takes away sometimes that self-identity? Well, I think what what happens is when you when you think about self-identity, um, self-identity generally comes from today outward. So it's how you think you're you're viewed on social media. It's how you know, it's, it's, you view it through the lens of the next, you know, net Netflix show that you're watching. You view it from, um, your interaction with peers and family and how they see you. But I think because of the constant influx of technology that we have, we're, we're starting to, to get into a focus on what is urgent instead of focusing on what is important. And that, that is a huge issue because, you know, people have, are having a, a, a greater and greater issue with spending the time with themselves to understand who they really are and what their self-identity means. And, you know, to unpack that a little bit more, um, you know, where I'm going with that is pe people tend to, to picture themselves and their self-identity as greater than what they actually are in many cases. And until they, you know, come to grips of, you know, what their self-identity is at its core, um, it's very difficult to go on this passion-struck journey. And, you know, it's influenced by so many outward factors that it's really, you've, you've got to start um, isolating those factors and really focusing on the important 
instead of all these daily things that keep popping up that are distracting you and creating, uh, you know, fear and an uncertainty that you're willing to take the risks to do what it takes to live, you know, a more purposeful life. So are you, are you to, to, I don't know, unpack that further or, or maybe just trend translate that to something I understand. Are you, are you also talking about meditation? Like just sitting down and really just being with yourself, right. And just figuring out being mindful. Right. Well, there, there are so many studies um, that I'm, I'm reading and more coming out where, you know, they talk about this, this phenomenon and, uh, you know, there, there've been studies where they give people the choice of, would you rather, for instance, walk over fiery coals and have it done, you know, in 30 seconds, or would you rather be forced to sit in a room for 20 to 25 minutes with no outside stimulations, only your, only yourself and having to write down your thoughts. And it's amazing that the majority of them would rather pursue the former rather than the latter. That's crazy to me. I'd be like, yes, give me 20 minutes by myself, <laughs> please. I'll take it any day. Uh, but I, I do think that, um, you, you know, mindfulness and, you know, practices like yoga and other things, or even, you know, if, if exercise, you know, there are different ways to practice mindfulness. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, you know, I like to do it on, on a daily, you know, daily walks with my dog. And, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's kind of like letting all the other noises out and being able to refocus on, you know, purple, your purpose and, you know, kind of putting, I do that first thing in the morning in, and then I come back after and I journal and I, you know, I reprioritize and then I, you know, journal about things that, uh, you know, come up on that walk and different, uh, you know, experiences or thoughts that come in my, you know, my head. Right. So you feel like you're kind of focusing in on you, what's important to you, what's your purpose and just passions that kind of arise through that quiet time. Correct. No, I feel like I completely agree with you. I've been going to yoga and if I don't go like the past few weeks ago, I didn't go for like a week or two. And I felt like off because I didn't have that time. Like I was just, you know, too busy with everything else. I didn't have that time to myself. So I can completely relate to that. Well, I mean, since you brought brought that up, I think that um, there's people confuse emotion and progress. And the big thing is you can't have both. So let me give you an example of this. So, Stephanie, I know you and I used to both do um, Orange Theory, um, but it, it doesn't have to be Orange Theory. It could be any you know gym you go to. But, you know, if you're in an Orange Theory class, you know, they have a tendency to make you do rep after rep after rep on a TRX. And after a while... Um, you know, you just want to quit. So, you know, the emotion is, you know, at this moment after I've done, you know, 15 reps, I just want to quit. Um, but the progress is that step that you make where you go beyond that pain and keep doing the reps. And I think, you know, that's something for me that I, I learned when I was a, you know, division one athlete is you make the most progress by kind of ignoring those emotions and focusing on the pain and, and exceeding the pain. And I think what we have going on is people are focusing too much of their time on emotions rather than on, on making progress. Right. I mean, emotions are a beautiful thing, but to your point, like you need to acknowledge that, that pain point, right? That feeling of wanting to stop that emotion of wanting to stop. And then, 
using that to your benefit and saying, okay, this is, this is the part where I need to keep pushing, pushing myself. Yes. Cause if you, if you don't, I, as I've looked at this, um, the hardest thing to do is to create motion. So what ends up happening is, you know, you, you might have a, you, you might, you might have a job now that's paying you money, um, but you're not really happy at it and you're, you're, you're doing it because, because, you know, you come up with all kinds of excuses. I'm doing it because I like the house that I'm in. I like the neighborhood that I'm in. I like the car I'm driving. You know, I like the lifestyle that I have. You know, it's how I'm, you know, it's the identity I have with how others view me. But at the end, you're not happy with, with what you're doing. So you're, you know, you're living this emotion, but the emotion is keeping you from making progress on what could take you from some, you know, from a life of what I call the portfolio career to having a life where you're living your purpose. I think you nailed it. Like keeping up with the Joneses, right? Like everybody wants the fancy car and the fancy house, but, but why do you want the fancy car and the fancy house? Is it because everybody has it and you feel like you have to have it. But if you take all that away to your point and you, you kind of, you become mindful every day and figure out what your purpose is, maybe Maybe you might not really truly want that. And then, right, like there's so many people that I know that have amazing corporate roles and they're, they're great roles and they provide a lot of things for them and their families, but um, they're definitely not happy. Yes. I, I, and I have to tell you a story. So um, as I was leaving um, Dell, I was at a, a, a you know, I, as I've gone through my career, I've had to reinvent it um, many different times. Um, and I think that that is something that more and more people are going to have to do. And I was at a crossroad when I left Dell. Um, so at 30, 39, um, I had become their chief information officer. And for me, that was my lifelong goal at that point was, you know, to, to be a CIO. And, you know, I, I had achieved it and, you know, not only had achieved it, but in, you know, one of the top 10 most coveted jobs you could have. But I, I got to that job and I realized um, once I got there that, you know, I wasn't really as passionate about it as I thought. So as I was leaving Dell, I had this, I was at a crossroads and I could have stuck with the CIO role. And in fact, I was being offered um, some pretty large jobs or I could take a different path. And so I had um, a unique encounter where I, I happened to go into, uh, you know, at this time, I asked Michael Dell for some advice, and um, he and I had become friends, mostly because they, the area he um, worked out of, we, we called it the God Pod, because it had him, the CFO, um, the head of HR, and the head of strategy up there. But it was but if you had access to it, you could get coffee for free, because <laughs> they had their own <laughs> kitchen up there. So I would go up there, um, you know, and I would typically at the at the time go visit uh, Dave Johnson, who was the head of strategy, and I'd pick up a cup of coffee. Well, when Michael was in the office, it turns out that he would be getting coffee at about the same time. And so, you know, over, you know, months and years, we, we struck up um, a friendship where it was different than, you know, a work relationship and more of a fr friendship. So as I was contemplating leaving, I asked him if I could... Um, have a mentorship call with them. And he said, you know, if we're going to do this. Why don't we get uh, Mark on the phone? And so um, he, he called his friend, uh, Mark Benioff and Mark was the reason I, I got the, the job at Dell. 
And the two of them started ta- talking to me about it. And they both at that point were like, you know, we, we think that, you know, although you're a great CIO, you have the potential to, to, to go beyond that and become a CEO sometime. Um, but um, they said, you know, we want to confirm this by, by you talking to the experts. So, you know, I waited a couple minutes and Mark gets on the phone and he, he goes, John, um, I, I'm not sure if you've ever been to one of his seminars before, but I, I wanted to introduce you to my good friend, Tony. And so um, Tony gets on the phone and it, it turns out it's Tony Robbins. And wow. he ends up uh, speaking to me for about an hour. And during that conversation, he said, um, he, he said a quote that I'll, I'll never forget. He said, um, the quality of a person's life is most often the direct result of their peer group's impression and expectations. And he, he, you know, kind of threw that at me. And, and as I was thinking about it, he's, he's right. You know, the, the peer group is what kind of gave me this aspiration to be the, the CIO, but my self-identity was pulling me in a different direction where my passion was in, in a drastically different direction. And, you know, he was right that it was a lot of this was because of the expectations that were thrown upon me at that time because I was living the emotions, but I wasn't progressing like we talked about before on that path that I needed to take. And that was a, you know, a huge um, changing point in my entire career. Wow. I love that. Um, I feel like there's so many good things you can take out of that uh, message that you just gave. First of all, go get the coffee. Like, you know, get out there, talk to people, and don't be afraid to ask for a mentor or for some guidance from someone that you look up to or someone, uh, a leader in your company. I feel like that's, you know, if you didn't do that, then, you know, maybe your entire rest of your career course would have been different. You know, you never know. And then um, I like his quote, Tony's quote. Was it Tony's quote? Yep, Tony's quote. Um, Like, I 100% agree with that. Surround yourself with the, the people that will help you grow and that, you know, will help you, that you want to be like, that you can get together and you can, you know, build that um, empire with. I love that. Yeah. So I, I actually wrote a, a, a chapter about this in, in, the, in the book. Um, I don't know if you want to go there or, or not, but um, I, the, the way I came up with this is I, I happened to be listening uh, to a radio show and they asked the question, what is the most dangerous animal on the planet? And so, you know, before he gave a response, they had a, a commercial and, you know, my head immediately jumped to, you know, it's got to be a lion or, you know, could it be, you know, the tiny, um, could it be the tiny uh, jellyfish that they have in Australia? Or could it be, you know, a killer whale or a shark? Um, and then he, the, the announcer came back on and to my astonishment, he said, it's the mosquito. Oh, okay. I didn't expect that. Why did he say mosquito? Because they, they take more lives per year than almost all other animals combined especially, you know, in third world areas where you have malaria, typhoid, uh, other things that are transmitted by mosquitoes. But it, the whole thing um, got me thinking, and it was one of those moments, you know, I think it's like when you're writing a song and it just comes to you. To me, the, the concept of the mosquito principle came to me at that point. And it's on this line that Stephanie was just talking about. 
And so as I started to think about it, um, we have so many influences that are around us. And oftentimes, as you alluded to, the influences we have are not the influences we need to have. And so when I started thinking about this, I identified three types of mosquitoes that, you know, we encounter, um, the, the bloodsucker, the suffocator, and the pita. And so when I, <laughs> and so when I, you know, I started unpacking this, you know, a bloodsucker, I mean, I'm sure we've, we've all seen this. These are these people who are so concerned about their self-identity and their self-being that, um, you know, they put that way above, you know, their, their own aspirations over, you know, really helping you and, and, and being there for you. So, you know, they're really sucking the life out of you. Yeah. Like definitely energy draining, right? Like you feel like you're drained after, after being with them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then you've got the invisible suffocator um, that I like to call it. And, and these are the people who are the half glass empty. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, all of a sudden you guys are launching next path and, you know, they're the person who said, well, you know, this is going to take time away from your family or, you know, how are you going to handle this? you know, and not having the the income that you used to have, or, you know, they create all these doubts in your mind that take away from you achieving your dream. Mm -hmm. And then the last, you know, if you're not familiar with PETA, it's a pain in the ass. (laughs) But, uh, you know, for me, you know, an an example of this was, you know, there've been many in my career, but uh, a clear example was I was on the board of of a startup here locally, and I kept on trying to give advice to, um, this founder and CEO. And the, the issue was, unless it was his idea or his thought pattern, no matter what I said, it, it he wouldn't um, relate to it. So, you know, he was trying to go from A to Z with this product. And, you know, I kept on trying to tell him, you're never going to get money unless you fail first and fail often. So I kept encouraging him to, you know, work on his, M, you know, minimum viable product, get it out and start testing it. Because often when you start a company, what you think is going to be your product and what you end up finding it needs to be are two different things. So this went on for about two years. And then finally he took this trip where he went on the West Coast and started talking to some Silicon Valley VCs. And lo and behold, he comes back and he goes, goes, we have to change our whole strategy. We have to focus (laughs) on creating an MVP. We've been doing it all wrong. And you know, two days later, I left his board. <laughs> your job was done at that point. So is this mosquito theory a part of your um, 10 mindsets that you are have created in mind, in uh, Passion Struck? Yeah. So the, the purpose of the, the, the book is I, I have analyzed from working, interviewing, and interacting with about 250 prominent leaders that these span – from business leaders like I discussed to professional athletes to academians to military uh, you know generals and, and admirals and when I started looking at this cross function I, I found that there were common mindsets that that they all had um, which helped them overcome this self-identity crisis and, and live their passion so the mosquito principle is one and it's it's really based on the fact that you need to get those mosquitoes out of your life um, and focus on identifying them and moving them out um, to achieve your passion. You know, and a, and a mosquito could be 
habits. It, it could be, you know, you, you go to a bar, but is that bar, you know, that you're going to and the people you're hanging out there, are they really on your passion journey? Or is it really just, you know, another one of these things that appears urgent, but isn't important? So, you know, some of these are behavioral changes, but they're, they're really mindsets. Can you share with us some of your other mindsets that are in your book? Maybe a few? Yeah. So the, the way I wrote the book is I, I tried to write it in a way where I, I talk about a personal experience and then I, I go into then trying to hammer in the point by through an interview that I did uh, with someone people would recognize or, you know, put it into perspective. So, you know, the first chapter of the book, um, it the focus is on Jim McKelvey. And, you know, some of the listeners may not know who Jim is. Um, you know, Jim happens to, to be a multi-billionaire, uh, and you might know his um, co-founder, uh, Jack Dorsey, um, more prevalently, but they together founded Square. And, you know, one of the things that uh, that if you talk to Jim, he, he can't go five minutes without saying is, you know, having this innate power within to, to do something great. And, you know, I found that across you know, all these leaders as they have this immense desire and power to problem solve and to want to, you know, put their efforts towards solving a problem that hasn't been solved before. And, you know, whether that's been Mark, you know, Benioff by, you know, reinventing, uh, you know, cloud computing, or it's, you know, Elon Musk, or uh, Jeff Bezos, or, you know, others, um, it's all around this innate power to do something more um, and, and overcome the challenges that, uh, that it takes to do so. So in that chapter, I really go into, you know, today we see the output of Square in this nice reader, but at the time, the challenges that uh, Jim and Jack had to overcome were enormous because they had the whole banking industry against them. They had the government litigators against them. and you know, the, the way he describes it, um, you know, to me was, you know, every step in the way, you know, we kept on encountering, you know, problem after problem after problem after problem. And he said, you know, that's the, the issue that happens, whether you're working on a successful startup or you're a professional athlete trying to go to the next level, or, you know, you're a military leader, you know, and, it's confronting those problems and not giving up and, and having this immense um, positivity around it that keeps, keeps you going. And you've got to just keep tackling the problems, know that they're going to arrive. But um, the important thing that I learned from that is that you have to get on a momentum journey. And that momentum journey, you know, I liken it in, in this way. Um, so th think about um, a world where you don't have a cell phone and you're driving in your car and all of a sudden um, your your car overheats. You know, you, you really have two options. So you could sit there and put your hazard lights on and wait for, for someone to come and help you. Um, but if you do, you're, you're taking, you know, what I consider to be a charity approach. So you are putting yourself at the whims of the person who comes by and helps you. And, you know, how much are they really going to want to help you. Or the other thing you can do is you can open that, you can put the car in neutral, open that car door and start pushing it. And, you know, although when you start pushing it, it's going to be very difficult at first, you know, and it might be uphill, 
the more you push it, the more things you're going to learn. And there could be setbacks and other things, but after a while, you're going to go from uphill to flat, and then you know, you're going to start going downhill. And that's exactly kind of the journey that happened for them at Square. You know, when they reached this point, you know, when he invented the the card reader where everything started coming together and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they they created a completely new industry. Right. That's that's really inspiring to hear. I love how you put that all together for us in that story, Um, because a lot of people just, I think, give up when they're faced with so many problems. Sometimes they think, oh, it's not meant to be. But that's where you need to be mindful in knowing who you're who you are, who, what your passion is, what your drive is, um, to, to just continue on, right? Like, like, you know, be able to solve those problems. And I, I love the, the point that you made that you need to know that problems are going to arise. Um, because I think if you don't, if you don't believe that problems will come up, I think then once a problem does arise, you're going to let your emotions take over. Right. And then it's going to be even harder to get over that, that issue or that problem. Yeah. And, and you, you have put the, you've put the head on the nail. I mean, you, you've touched on one of the most fundamental things that, you know, when I start working with someone now in my my company, I help them with, and that is the fundamental question of, you know, when you, when you're out and you're at a dinner party and someone comes up to you and they say, who are you? You know, what is the answer you give? And, uh, you know, I was recently listening to a podcast, um, and um, the guest was um, Hillary Swank. And, you know, I wouldn't say I'm up until that point, I was the largest Hillary Swank fan. You know, I, I liked her in some, some of her movies, but Definitely. I didn't necessarily think that she was someone I was going to get uh, a ton of inspiration from, but I actually did. Um, and she put it in this way. She goes, you know, I go to a dinner party and people ask me, who are you? Well, she said, you know, I mean, who am I? Am I? You know, I'm a mom, you know, I'm a, I'm a wife, I'm obviously an actress. She goes, but I'm also a producer. I'm also a director. And she goes, you know, for a while, I, I didn't know what thing to give. Um, and she goes, now when people ask me, she tells them I'm a storyteller. And, you know, because whether she's acting in a movie, producing or directing, what she's really trying to do is, is to tell a story that relates to people's lives. And to me, that that really resonated because, you know, if I think about my own career, you know, who am I? I mean, I, you know, do I say I was the CIO of Dell? Do I, you know, say I was a former naval officer? Do I say I'm a father? You know, and similar to her, you know, I, I, I believe we all are storytellers, you know, and, and my story is, you know, I'm trying to positively change the lives of others. And help them achieve their potential. That's great. Yeah, I can, that's amazing that she was able to do her her kind of thirty second you know commercial about herself in one word. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm so I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, what what would mine be? I I've literally created a thirty second kind of commercial, but it's it that's interesting. Like narrowing it down to almost like one you know one word or two words. I like that. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good thing to think about. I'm going to work on that. I feel like that's a great, <clears throat> that's a great kind of closing to, you know, what we've been talking about. Um, when does your book come out, John? So I've, I've got two, two things coming up. So, you know, you, I currently write weekly for the Entrepreneur's Handbook, 
So a, a lot of uh, my writing can be found there or on my, you know, my website. Um, but I am also launching a, a podcast in uh, in the January February time frame. Yay! Call us. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, um, I, you know, I'm hoping for the book to to come out uh, in the spring alongside that uh, that launch. Okay. And what's your website? Um, so the the website is. Uh, there too. You you can go to uh, John R. Miles today, or very shortly, um, Passion Struck is in development, and it will be coming out as well. Awesome! I can't wait. I can't wait to read your book. Ash and I, <clears throat> we always try to read books that help us grow professionally and personally. And in a, a couple of weeks ago, we went through kind of a list of books that we've read so far this year. And next year, we'll be able to add that to our list. So I'm excited. Um, so I think this is a good time to go into the rapid rapid fire questions. Mm-hmm. Unless John, there's anything else that you want to add that we missed or we didn't talk about? No, nope, let's go for it. Okay. 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 I have a die like a burning question that I need to ask you. <laughs> okay, who you know out of all of the prominent leaders and athletes that you've interviewed with, friends with, worked with, who was the most interesting? Or or maybe maybe you have a funny story about them or something like that. But I was wondering like who is the the most fun or interesting person? Well, I, I think a person who I, I've always ad- admired, who was much different than um, I thought he was ever going to be, ha- has been Mark Benioff, the the um, CEO of Salesforce. And Mark is such a dynamic individual on, on so many different levels. Um, you know, the, those who know him, um, he has a huge passion or Star Wars. He, he may be the biggest Star Wars fan on the planet, so much so that he named his daughter Leia. Right. Um, and, but Mark, one thing I, I really like about him is he does not have any, any blinders that, that I ever saw in the times that I was around him, meaning, you know, he, he doesn't see blinders and race color, any of those things. And, uh, you know, I, I think, has approached this whole business from from a philanthropic standpoint. So, you know, to, to give you the range of that, um, you know, in 2000, I think it was 2010, um, uh, he asked me to, he and I had gone on a, a global speaking tour kind of promoting cloud computing, and he asked me to, to be uh, the day one keynote with him. And so the, the background is, on this uh, was before we got up on the stage, um, you know, a group of us are standing back in the in the back and uh, along with the other presenters who are coming up. And he says, John, can you do a favor for me? And so I'm like, sure, Mark, what do you need? He goes, can you go in this other room? He goes, I, I need you to entertain some of my good friends. So I, I walked in and on the one side of the room was Neil Young. And on the other side of, of the room was uh, Will I Am. And to talk about two completely opposite and diverse people, you, you couldn't have had two, two more diverse than that. And so for me, it, it was an interesting, you know, hour or so that I spent with the two of them talking about it. And then, um, Mark, if you've ever, if you've ever been around him constantly ad libs. So I was glad that I got to travel around the world with them because, you know, every single time we would go in with this agenda and we'd never follow it. <laughs> so, you know, we're up there doing the keynote, which we had rehearsed the day before, and he's got the teleprompter right there in front of him, and he is not following it at all. <laughs> so 
So as he's doing this, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm used to this. So he just, you know, lobs the questions. But as I look out into the front row, there is Neil Young and Will I Am, and Will I Am is up there making uh, facial expressions and using his hands, trying to get the two of us to crack up. So, <laughs> so I mean, for many, many reasons, um, you know, I, I really, um, you know, have valued uh, Mark's uh, influence, you know, throughout my life. That's great. When was that tour that you did? How long? Um, that was 2009, 2010. And do you still keep in touch with Mark or? Yeah, not, I, unfortunately not as, as much, um, as I was able to before. Um, so it, it used to be pretty easy to get access to him, but he is getting so bombarded, especially now that he bought uh, time magazine that I have to, I think m- many of us have to go through his personal assistant because, he is actually trying to limit the amount of time that he's spending on devices. So, you know, he, he will, you know, you kind of send the request in and then he will contact you. Oh, speaking of being mindful, right. And, and, uh, having, having the right mindset, he's, he's trying to get off the devices, huh? Yes. Okay. Next question. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Well, I can tell you the advice I would give to my son who in many ways is my younger self. And, you know, I'm, a, I, you know, I love him or, or hate him. Um, you know, I, I am a Gary V fan and listen to him, you know, quite frequently because I, I think he's got some uh, great words of, of wisdom. But one of the things I have found uh, throughout my career is, and, you know, early on, you know, probably to my detriment is I was such in such a rush to get from point A to point B. Um, you know, and I did it very quickly um, in many cases. Um, and I think, you know, having graduated from the Naval Academy, there's this type A that you got to be better than everyone else that uh, that was in me. But, you know, I, I got into public accounting and, you know, within five years of getting out of the military, I was, you know, selected for, for partner, you know, and then, you know, I, I had my first C-level role in a, in a Fortune 50 company when I was 32 or 33 you know, at 34, I was the youngest at, uh, you know, VP at, at Lowe's and all those things are great. But when I look back, there are many development stages that because I was in such a rush to get there, I wish I would have spent more time. And so I would say that the biggest thing that I've, I've told my son is to have patience. You know, he recently landed a first job and he was a little bit worried about, you know, the pay wasn't as much as I had. Some of my friends are making more and and i just started to go back and say this is such a small portion of your entire journey and you know the the big the biggest thing i can tell you is have patience and concentrate how you show up because so many people today aren't showing up anymore they don't show up to work they don't show up to their families they don't show up to their friends they're not present they're not present right. and you know i said those those two things and part of this goes into you know, what I was saying about earlier, people are so focused on the emotions that they're not focusing on what's most important. And so patience and showing up and the inputs that it takes to showing up would be the two things. I love that. Okay. I have a question. Um, <laughs> any non-insider stock trading tips? <laughs> well, I... So it's it's an interesting time right now, um, and after presidential elections, um, 
as I've looked over the trends, it, it it's interesting. A lot of people think that the stock market does better under uh, Democratic, or I mean, excuse me, Republican presidents. But if you look over the past history, it's actually um, improved more um, based on what I've read under Democratic presidencies. But the sh- there's going to be a shift in focus. So, you know, currently, um, you know, there you, you have seen kind of an explosion in uh, oil companies and stocks and and a on the flip side, a commodities has been going down for many years. I think with the introduction of the Green New Deal or whatever, you know, climate change, he, you know, he'll end up doing. I think that uh, commodities, which is right now kind of at, at a very low point, is going to start changing directions. And I think some of these energy stocks as you know, he'll probably start focusing on non-fracting and other things will probably go. I, I think the other thing to focus on would be industrials, but in a different way. So under, you know, President Trump is the first president in, in literally 40 or 50 years who hasn't launched a conflict while he's been in the president. And, and think about that for a second. You know, you can go all the way, you know, you can go 50 years back, you know, and all these presidents have gotten into conflicts and, you know, for a good reason, it really starts the industrial complex producing things. Well, with all the tariffs and everything else he's put on, you know, the industrial stocks today are going to be much different than I think they're going to be under a Biden presidency. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, will we continue this trend of staying out of conflicts or, you know, will we re-enter them, which has been the common pattern? That's very interesting. It's an interesting way to look at things. So I like that question. Um, last question, and this is one of our Live Bold Boss Up favorite questions, is what's the last gift that you gave someone? Could be tangible or non-tangible. Right. Well, I mean, it's so for me, this one's kind of a heartbreaking one. Um so unfortunately, in September, we we learned that my sister has pancreatic cancer. And so, you know, my gift to her is one of the things I'm very good at is is research. So I have spent, uh, you know, countless hours trying to do research on, you know, how do you defeat this thing? And, you know, what are, you know, outside of, you know, having to get a Whipple surgery, you know, which is dreadful enough. Um, it's, you know, what are all the alternative medicines and other procedures that are out there in clinical trials? So, you know, I've, what I've been trying to give her is the gift of time. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm sorry about your sister. Yeah, sorry about your sister. I think that's a great gift. I feel like that's one of the most valuable gifts that you can give someone, especially in that case. Um, but I think that kind of wraps it up. Thank you so much, John, for being here with us today. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, it's very inspiring. And I think we need to do a part two because there's so much, you have so much knowledge and information and I would love to talk to you about more stuff. Well, it'd be, it'd be great after the the book comes out um, to to do a follow-up. Yeah, for sure. Um, Also, thank you so much to the Tampa Bay wave and next path for helping all this happen. And until next time, live bold and boss up. This is a Forking Around Town with Tracy Guida Quick Fix on Radio Influence. When it comes to the holiday season, I don't know about you, but I go into the stores and I feel sucked in. I want to buy this. I want to buy that. And I'll walk out of a store 
spending more than I planned on and getting things that were not on my list. So one thing I started doing is before I go out to the store, I sit down and I make a list. I swear by the app Ibotta, which is I-B-O-T-T-A. You can download it whether you have an iPhone or an Android in your app store. And Ibotta is a wonderful platform for saving money and getting rebates on things. So you look at the different stores that are listed. So for example, I live in Tampa. So of course, Walmart, um, um, Target is on there. And then Publix is the main grocery store here in the Tampa Bay area. There's also Winn-Dixie. And I'm sure where you guys live, you might have a Safeway or a Kroger's. Not sure, you know, what you guys have where you live. But it breaks down each store into categories such as frozen foods, sorry, frozen foods, produce, meat and cheese, dairy, everything. So you can go down and look and let's say you have butter on your list. Just take a look at the dairy section on the app and see if any brands of butter will provide a rebate. It's very simple. All you do, make your purchase and then you upload your receipt and then whatever rebates you have, you will get credited those to your Ibotta account. And once you reach $20, you can cash it out. You can transfer it to your PayPal account or you can use it for gift cards such as Amazon and you know different restaurants that are available on the app. This has been a great way for me to save a little bit of extra money and it also makes me stop and think about the items that I need when I go to the store. Forking Around Town with Tracy Guida can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.